This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but at Thinking Out Loud, we believe the gospel speaks to every issue, past, present, and future. And we want this to be your place to process truth. So what does it mean to live in the light of the gospel's eternal truth rather than in the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, co-founders of Thinking Out Loud, a ministry that wants to move apologetics out of the ivory tower and into your living room. Our hope at Thinking Out Loud is to see ordinary Christians advance the credibility of Christ. One way to do that is to respond to the day's news with genuine peace and resilience. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hey, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. Here's a warning. Neither Nathan nor I are big fans of Disney anyway. <laughs> and everybody so, is shocked. I, mean, I know they're just shocked to hear that, Cameron. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're you're all just aghast. But just to, to, to give you a warning of the critical nature of some of our remarks as we go forward, we do want to talk about why Disney is in the news right now. We do want to specifically talk about the Florida bill. But also, we want to have a broader conversation on discernment versus basically just having some clear set of instructions on how to engage various cultural artifacts. This is a perennial theme in Christianity, and the Bible has a lot of insight to to give us here, but it's not going to tell you whether you should or should not cancel your your Disney subscription. So, we do we want to talk about that. I we hope that sounds interesting to you. Well, well we, we we should clarify you know, something here, Cameron. Yeah. We, we didn't we don't our, our dislike of Disney is not recent. Right. So, so this has nothing to do with the political nature of it. Yeah, because there are people who are all now anti-Disney for, right. you know, different reasons. And we just want to know, we just want you to let you know that our crotchety in this was more deep-seated and historical than this. So, Absolutely. Anyway. Well, and that, and, and also, I think it'd be fair to say, Nathan, neither, both you and I are a little surprised at how surprised other people are with regard to what's happening with Disney right now. Okay, so where are we starting on this? I think it'd be safe this? to say that. Wouldn't yeah, yeah. Okay. Help us out with this, just in case people haven't been following the news as closely, help us out with the Florida bill. Let's start there. Okay, so we'll start. I think that is part of the... Well, and, and Florida politically has been kind of having its moment in the limelight for several months now, Ron DeSantis and all sorts of things that are happening in Florida. Um, but as far as the, the Disney bill, let me get the number right here, pull it up. Yes. HB 1557 is one that came into a more contentious light. And this is a, let me get to the exact phrase here. So, um, what it does is it prohibits the classroom instruction related to quote, sexual orientation or gender identity, end of quote, up until third grade. And it restricts its higher grades if it and it restricts it in higher grades if it's in quote in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. So originally, when this was, which I think when you read it for that, the vast majority of people say well, that seems eminently reasonable. 
uh, that under third grade, we wouldn't be talking about some of these things. Um, and in fact, Disney did not see a problem with that on the initial rounds of it. However, then I think when it started making the news, as you'd say, there's okay, there's some now activism happening at, uh, at Disney. You have some protest among the employees there saying that our, our employer, Disney, is not respecting us and hearing us. And then Disney switches gears there a little bit. There's some different videos leaked of what people thought Disney's agenda was here. And then it becomes a thing where then Disney is throwing its weight as a business in the state of Florida back against this bill. And then, um, and then, so that's when they started calling it a don't say gay bill. And then other people saying, it says nothing about not saying gay in it. It's not, it's about not teaching gender identity stuff to people who are younger than nine years old. Uh, so then they kind of gotten this back and forth of why don't you want to say this and why do you want to teach this? And so I think that was the heart of kind of the tension there and why that continued to make the news. And then, so just, yeah, you saw the headlines and then just throw the word woke into half of those. And there you go. There's your controversy. So let's back up for a second though. Did I get that right? Pretty much. Yeah, no, that that's a good description of some of the mechanics of the bill and how that, how that's played out in the cultural field. But I'm curious, Nathan, why don't you like Disney? Uh, okay. Way to throw me under the bus here. No, well, okay. First of all, I didn't grow up in a in a Disneyfied world, and so I think probably part of it had to do with the fact I was probably like fourteen or fifteen years old before I saw a Disney movie. So that, and then at that point, the Fox and the Hound just isn't that riveting. So I think that's so lack of. So some of it was, uh, yeah, just the nurture side of it. Um, and then when I started exploring the world, it, it sort of came across to me sort of like bottled water. Um, it's the mass produced normalized thing. That's great for everybody who doesn't have access to fresh resources. So it just seemed like an overly market driven, roughly stamped out generic version of storylines that obviously had fascinating psychology marketing behind them because children love all the creatures and characters and things that are in that. Um, so for me, it just seemed like a, the Disney World, the whole thing just seemed like probably like the quintessential definition of a uh, overly consumeristic uh, reduction of the beauty and complexity of the world. I don't. I, we can say more about that. That's just my my general thirty second response. Does that fit with probably what you foresaw coming? Oh no, I'm not. I'm not putting Nathan into a, a box here. I do think it's a unique feature of your childhood that you were not reared on Disney films, though, because they do form such an integral part of the imaginative landscape. I think of most most people when that when they're growing up. But well, it is it was funny too when I started dating my wife in college. There were things she's like Nathan. In order to be a functioning human <laughs> in our culture. You need to watch some of this and at least know other references here. So, but that being said, I mean, I grew up in a house where we did a lot of reading and my dad told a lot of original stories. Um, so you might say, I, my, I, I, to this day, have never seen a TV show that is more interesting than either of my brothers are. Mm -hmm. Um, when was the last time that you saw children rolling on the floor in laughter at a totally original story being told by their grandfather? Right. Yeah. So it's. It's not saying that I'm anti-story or fantasy or anything like that. I'm just saying that to me, it always seemed like a a stopgap for a, a deficiency in relationships rather than the... the I, I saw it as a reductionistic thing rather than a flourishing in a productive... I, I know all of this makes me sound extremely cynical. I'm just, I'm just giving you my experience of growing up without it, 
having a wonderfully imaginative um, childhood and then coming into looking at some of this later in life and being like, really? Uh, so for me, like the honest trailers, if you go on YouTube and type an honest trailer for like any Disney, actually any movie, those are hilarious because they're in some ways so accurate of like the way that I saw them going back and looking at them later in my adult life. Um, yeah, those crack me up. So anyway, that, that if if anybody thinks thought there was something wrong with me in advance, now you know the reason why. <laughs> well, and I I'm wondering. I'll put my cards. I wasn't properly Disneyfied. You weren't properly Disneyfied. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll put my cards on table here a little bit as well. So I did grow up semi Disneyfied, not as much so as I, I would say an average average kid. Partly because I grew up overseas, but I think I would I want to make a meaningful distinction between individual Disney films, right? Their individual artifacts, and then the empire that has that Disney has now become. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, do that. Yeah, because so I think on an individualist, on, you know, sort of on an individual basis, there are some there are some Disney films that can be quite powerful and 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 profound, and meant some of which I've I've really enjoyed. But okay, so that said, so let's so let's have that here's that distinction i've just i've just we've just put on the table here between individual works of art in that fall under the disney empire right but then here's the other fact to throw in here what is happening at disney politically is not surprising to me at least in the least in fact i would say it fits very well with with their overall ethos and so when i take a few steps back I want to be I want to tread very carefully here and be very sensitive. These are top this this particular issue is really important because we're talking about young people and we're talking about education. So high stakes, high stakes. But I also think that the I think part of what's happening here is there's a tension. There's the expectation that a company that markets almost exclusively to kids or younger people, right? It's a child audience would be sensitive to the f- to the age of that audience. But on the other hand, it's a company that does not it does not embody Christian principles at all and is actually highly progressive in its outlook. So, you see the okay, tension I'm so, getting at there, Nathan? Yeah, yeah but, but here's okay, yes, I do, but here's where I would come back to that and say I don't think that's new. So, and that's part of the reason you're not surprised at this either. So let me, let's, let's spool out a couple things here. Um, one is there is a generational thing too. I think for some people, they think of Disney as Don Knotts and Tim Conway and the Apple Dumpling Gang. And like, oh, you know, this is good old family fun. Great movie. Um, and it was no, <laughs> nothing, nothing political about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, um, so there's that kind of thing going on. So there's kind of that nostalgia, uh, nostalgic Disney in that sense as well. What I think we're starting to see is that part of this is a broader political, cultural apologetic of recognizing that if you want to shape culture, you you control the stories because yeah. we learn through story. And we're seeing yep. the power of story being such a, an integral part, not of reason, not of mathematics, not of economics, of story being the thing that drives the way that we think about who we are collectively. And therefore the organizations that get to tell the stories to the next generation, get to script and craft mm-hmm. kind of the heart behind the future. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where probably the underlying tension for a lot of Christians trying to weigh into this is of, of recognizing like, actually these stories do matter. That being said, you have a daughter, Cameron, 
What lesson from the Little Mermaid do you hope she most deeply embodies in her life as she grows up as a Christian young woman? Oh yeah, I just uh, I really I mean, want. I, I say that as a ridiculous question because I, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think there's an answer to that. So for me, it's interesting where Christians are drawing the lines on some of these things. Like, oh well, this one has a fun soundtrack, so right. a half naked fifteen year old obviously is fine. Um, you, you know, it's like let's just call it what it is. So the, I guess, I'm not surprised by companies doing what companies want to do. I'm surprised at where people are now suddenly drawing lines. I guess, I guess for me, that's like where the line gets drawn. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm trying to take it all in right now. Well, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to date myself here by, I'm going to use an example of a film that came out in the nineties. So this, this happened a long time ago and there are numerous other recent films that would fit this general outline as well. But in the nineties, I can't remember precisely when it was, there was a there was a movie called Pretty Woman starring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. And on the surface, it's a warm-hearted, fun, fuzzy, romantic comedy. Except that Julia Roberts is a sex worker. And it's all kind of laughed off and one of the one of the more some of the more discerning comments I heard from some of the the people in our missionary circles were goodness, it's amazing how this movie is getting a free pass just because it's so feel-good and how benign it comes across when, if you just, if you look into its its sort of moral outlook, it's about as far from the church and also actively just, just a harmful message. But see, that's also why I think the word we should we should start talking about here a little bit is discernment. Because if what you're saying is true, Nathan, and I think it absolutely is, then these features of rebellion, autonomy, being presented to an extremely young, I dare I say it, underage audience, are nothing new in the Disney canon. It's just that you, it, it, so it just becomes a matter of where is it a really crystal clear line being, line being crossed when, you know, usually when they're, when political, when they're when politics gets involved, but those have been there for for a while. It, it just has to be. Sometimes it just has to do with the packaging here too. It's really hard for me not to bring up horror movies right now because that <laughs> they are such a clear example. Here's a genre, certainly in in Christian circles that has that has a stigma attached to it, and in some ways for for good reason. But I, I've pointed out before that horror movies. And West, Westerns work like this too, by the way, actually. But horror films have to usually operate with a traditional sense of right and wrong, good and evil, firm lines, in order for their stories to work. It's central to their plot. And so what often ends up happening is you get a, a horror film, which is, yeah, sure, confrontational and nasty sometimes, with a moral message that's actually quite a bit more edifying than many of our comedies and many of our action flicks. And yeah, the Little Mermaid, definitely. So, yeah, where where you when when you choose to notice it, where you draw the line, if you're looking for some clear playbook, we 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 have to think more carefully. This is where I think some of those biblical passages, where Paul talks a lot about meat sacrifice to idols and how, being very careful with how we exercise our Christian freedom. I think those we can draw those in here too, but. Yeah, that's enough of me rambling, Nathan. Let's kick it over to you for a yeah. little bit. <laughs> so here's another thing that's interesting. I haven't seen 
Well, and maybe we'll get to this more. I think actually we've we've done a disservice here because we've muddied the waters a little bit in in the sense that I think there you, you can find in certain news channels concerned about the content of Disney movies and what's being shown to children. I think you're talking about new Buzz Lightyear relationships For and sure. that kind of thing yeah. um, coming up. Yep. However, the different thing with the Florida bill is that in that nobody's saying to Disney, this is what you should or shouldn't do in your films. This is a public school decision. And so it's yep. talking about what teachers teach, not what Disney puts in its films. So I think people might feel that there's a crossing of the line here when you have mm-hmm. a, a massive business throwing its economic weight behind policy in the public education system. That's different than saying what you can or can't make in your film as a private company. So that, I think, is a legitimate thing to keep an eye on. Also to point out that that's what lobbying is, and pretty much any company that anybody supports is probably involved in something to that effect at some level with something they disagree with. So, A, that's not to say it's good or bad. It just, we should probably be careful of any high-handed or high-horsiness on some of that. But it is a, a real thing, I think, to make a distinction of, is does somebody get to tell the story just because they have a lot of money? or change legislation just because they do, that's a whole nother category. And I think that's a a legitimate place for us to be alert to as not just Christians, but anybody in any culture who's interested in the stories that are being told to children. So there's that. What if we flip this back around then, Cameron, you're talking about discernment, and let's say we take Disney out of this, and Disney's just in the news, but pick any other (laughs) production company. Um, uh, we're, we're right. saying Disney here just because it's in the news, but any or any other artistic expression for that matter. Um, just because it's art doesn't mean it's wholesome. Uh, you know, there's there's that sort of thing as well. But let's flip back now into your category of discernment of deciding what we watch and what we would have our children watch or what's appropriate for us. And at this point, then we get into the category of ratings. Right. So so films have yeah. ratings. So which G general audience and then pg general audiences yeah so and then pg is parental guidance parental guidance so even in a pg film does tell me what pops into your mind when you i mean i i don't know of how how do you think that that label is actually getting used practically speaking what's how does discernment play into that man a lot could be said here well first let me give you a quick let's press into the word discernment real briefly just so we're all we're all on the same page there so in in the book faith at lasts i talk about discernment as comprising two really two key features one is insight or real penetrating insight and then the other is discrimination so penetrating insight the ability to see into the heart of the matter not just a superficial appraisal but the heart of the matter and then discrimination the able to the ability to make proper distinctions so to put it into real layman's terms the ability if we're talking about our kids for them to say this and then not this mm-hmm. so make those proper distinctions also so that's discernment and that's going that's drawing from the etymology of the word itself so the rating system is a basic framework there that's that is in place to protect younger viewers but it's going to be necessarily arbitrary. Why? I'll show you why. So if you look at a PG film from the 1970s yes, the age thing here. Some of these have been re-rate, re-rated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a parental guidance 
film in the 1970s had a lot more stuff in it than a PG film does nowadays. A PG film now nowadays is 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 pretty close to a G, but not in the 70s. In the 70s, you had a whole lot of violence and all sorts of stuff. So there's there's one picture, but here's another one. This is an example I sometimes use. Now I'm not denigrating the the rating system, by the way. I think it's helpful to you. You need some guiding principles for films because let's face it, there's some pretty extreme stuff. But take let's take two movies. Let's take Saving Private Ryan. That is that's rated R. And then let's take Dumb and Dumber, comedy from the 1990s, starring Jim Carrey. So, Dumb and Dumber is rated PG-13. So, Saving Private Ryan is rated R because it, it has wartime violence and carnage in it. The storming of the Beach of Normandy is a, is a justly famous and very harrowing scene to watch, but it's very true to reality. Nothing in there is gratuitous. It's just incredibly heartbreaking and violent. And the film, I mean, the film really is not excessive, but of course it's going to be an R-rated film, but it's also a piece of history. So Dumb and Dumber, conversely, is nowhere near as violent, but it contains a lot of casual jokes about some very serious, I'm going to use coded language here, sexual assault, and all sorts of deviant behavior, all sorts of real lawless behavior, none of which meet with any serious moral consequences whatsoever. It's a world, basically, where all you know, all moral significance is trivialized. Now, I'm not a total killjoy. I think Dumb and Dumber is funny, by the way. (laughs) Let me just go on record as saying that. But I want to ask you, of these two films, which is going to be the more potentially harmful for a young and impressionable audience? I think without a doubt, it's going to be Dumb and Dumber every time. Saving Private Ryan is a film with not only historic value, but has a very serious moral message at its center. I'm not saying that we don't want to be careful with it. Of course we do. But I'm I'm saying it's probably a much more edifying film than Dumb and Dumber. But on pure technicalities, it's going to it's going to have a higher rating. And so all that to say, you can't put you can't push discernment to the side just because of the rating system and say, well, this one tallies up, you know, 10, you know, 20 expletives. So therefore it's off it's, you know, it's off the table. But if there are only 10 expletives in this one, then I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to evaluate what what's the context in which those words are being used, you know, what's the whole thrust of the story, so on and so forth. So you get the you get I think I've given you enough to work with there on the on the rating system. Yeah, well, and so I was just thinking of things in life. You know, I love statistics and numbers. I uh one time kept a, a list um and concluded that by the standards, my bus ride to the high school each day should have been R-rated. Right, yeah. Uh, So it's not just, um, you know, when you use broad categories, real life sometimes um, deeply mirrors and mimics the the crudeness and the uh, crassness of, we're going to construction site for a summer sometime. (laughs) Right. Uh, There's an education for you. The, so I think, one of the things, so part of the distinguishing line here where I think there's parent, so there's parental discernment. And then I think part of raising a child well, or recognizing in our own growth is helping know when people can make those distinctions. You, I like that you're talking about discernment as this, not this. So I think what we recognize here is that there's a place in which at a certain age, I have the moral compass and framework and filters in place that I can make those distinctions and those decisions. And to say, and to sort out and say, here's what's really going on here. 
So I guess that's actually probably the heart of where some of these conversations are of at what age is somebody able to think for themselves in a way that it's not just pure indoctrination, but it's a thoughtful engagement with a diverse view of viewpoints. So I don't know anybody who doesn't want their children to be introduced to variety or other ways of thinking or believing or seeing the world. I think there are lots of people who want to make sure that they understand how to operate the brakes on their bike before you send them down the hill. And that's the the distinguishing factor here that I don't know anybody who wants, yeah, that totally uh, cloistered monkish life for their children, but they do want them to, and I think that is a parent's discernment at that point to say, yeah, I think my child can sort through and mm-hmm. make sense of, and and so when that that's a, that's a that's a difficult line. I bet there are not just in content, but also in age of when we morally develop in certain categories as well. That's a, a tricky thing. So all of that to say, I think again, there's enough ambiguity here that it's yeah. hard to draw really hard boundaries. But that doesn't mean that we escape the hard work of being thoughtful about those boundaries as well. Well, it depends also on on your child too. It's going to be very child specific because different kids respond differently to different material. And also, I think another danger that we run into here when it comes to kids entertainment in particular, and I feel this as a as a parent as well, is the temptation to try to find something that is quote safe so that you can go on autopilot, park the kid in front of the the television so to speak and and let them just watch this. But, you know, increasingly, especially as, I mean, we, we're just in a cultural moment where the, the ability to do that is, I mean, I think in the, in the past, again, on a superficial level, you may have been able to do that a little bit more, but now increasingly you're going to have progressive elements of, you will have, you'll have same-sex couples showing up in more and more children's shows, for instance, so there's that. And it just may be that there are certain conversations you want to have later down the line. You don't want to lay so much moral complexity on on your child's mind at such an heart at such an early age. That's more of a factor there. But here's another interesting item to bring in here, Nathan. Many if you if you switch on one of the old Disney movies, it is preceded now by a fairly lengthy warning about some of the stereotypes and prejudicial depictions that you'll find in said movie. And I'm talking about everything from Peter Pan. I mean, just look at the depiction of the Native Americans in Peter Pan to to Lady and the Tramp. I mean, there are and and so from the from our standpoint now, we can watch these and we can realize, "Oh my goodness. There are some extremely harmful and I mean, caricatures and stereotypes in here but we we also need to balance that with the perspective of but every film every film is a product of its time and and the the assumptions of its age and so many of those those assumptions this is not to excuse anything that was in those films it's to show you how invisible they were to original audiences so what's invisible to us today yeah we can't so i'm trying to say as, as carefully as I can, when it comes to our thoroughly compromised and fallen world, there is no, there's no, quote, totally spiritually safe place, especially in our entertainment. It's not neutral ground. And so I guess what I'm just trying to advocate here is it's more work, but 
there's no manual, there's no fail-safe methodology, but you're going to, if you want to let your kids watch stuff, whether it's Disney or Nickelodeon, whatever it is, you, you're going to need to walk through that with them. And you're going to need to navigate that territory with them. And yeah, if you're if you're a cranky guy like me and Nathan, it means you may have to watch some stuff that you really don't like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do like Lightning McQueen. He says through his teeth. Um, the so the <laughs> there you go. one of the important things you said there. I think you made the distinction or implied it that there was a time, perhaps, in which we would say we would use digital entertainment as a babysitter. And I think maybe that time is gone, mm-hmm. is, is partly that. So you can say, oh, yeah, this is safe for the kids or edutainment. Yeah, we're going to just plug this in and let them do that. And that's going to give me a half hour break from the screaming and yelling in my house that happens yep. by all the people under three feet tall. Um, and I think there are times and places for that for sure. Um, but we don't want to say that that becomes a, a babysitter because there's teaching that's happening. And that's something that my wife and I, even for us, not for our kids, are saying, so what are, what's, what are, what, what is this program trying to teach us? Because even without uh, an implicit agenda in it, there's a reason that it was made probably for more than just entertainment. And so I think even just being aware of that sometimes is is very helpful. Um, So there's that. Then when you were talking about historically looking at things and like, where do we draw the boundaries of what's okay and the things we look back on and say, I was uh, challenged recently by going back and reading how one of the quickest ways to get yourself excommunicated from the church early on was to attend a gladiatorial game. Mm. If you were involved in something where you were watching the death of a human as entertainment, you were thrown out of the church on your head. There was no room for somebody who had stooped to that level of watching somebody die as a form of entertainment. Well, how many movies today have that are under the category of entertainment have people dying in them? Now, I know there's a huge difference between somebody actually being eaten by a tiger and killed by a gladiator than somebody faking it. On the other hand, is our willingness to participate in things that trivialize the sanctity of human life in our films and death, does that willingness match up with what we would say about the sanctity of life on, say, like abortion or something? These are hard questions, and I don't want to draw like hard, cold clinical lines that take all the fun out of everything, but I think based off what Cameron has said about looking back at the blindness of which things were produced and watched in the past, there's a good challenge there for us as well to say, what is this actually? What is this type of thing? I remember my wife saying that she was watching a, a film with some of her friends in high school, and her dad was in the background working on something. And at the end, saying that was funny, but look at the types of people that it was portraying as funny. All of that is bad, um, right? And so it's just that subtle, like, can the adult say, "Ha ha," but don't be misguided by the underlying thing here, or don't embrace the assumptions that you saw in this and then apply them to the real world that we live in. So I think that's where some of that discerning is, is having that ability to be realistic about putting limitations on yourself and limitations on your children, not as a way to deter their development, but actually to facilitate their growth and their understanding of the way that the world really works and what's true and what's helpful and meaningful. And if you don't develop children or other young people around you, who can say no and to say not this in a consumeristic materialistic culture, um, the world is going to eat their lunch. So part of it is, is it's a kindness to show people the way that the world really works. There are times for, I mean, amusement, amusement, amusement is literally not thinking. 
right? So let's be careful when we step into those elements of saying, oh, we just need some amusement here. We need some time where we're not thinking. And I'm not saying there isn't room for that, but I think it's a place to be careful um, and to use Cameron's word to exercise discernment. Well, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed listening through this and we trust that you will exercise discernment by deciding what part of what we said you should listen to and the parts that you should reject. So hopefully there's some things in there you can say yes to, and I'm sure there are plenty of things you'll say, yeah, but not that too. So good luck discerning your way through this podcast. We appreciate that you guys are listeners who are willing to let us free will and kind of push the boundaries on some of these things and think out loud with us. You are listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.